0: Are you seeing posts, talks, and events about Movember and wondering what it is? In this episode of the Connecting Badgers podcast, we are here to talk all about what Movember is and what significance it has. Welcome to another episode of Connecting Badgers podcast. I'm Andy Schwabe, she, her pronouns, and one of your co-hosts.
1: And I am Kitanjali Dele, she, her pronouns, the other co-host. We are really honored to be joined today by one of our providers at UHS, Matt, who is joining us to share with us all about the men's mental health and Movember. Welcome, Matt, and you can introduce yourself.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm really glad to be here too. My name is Matt Sablon, he, him pronouns, and I'm one of the generalist therapy providers here at MHS.
0: We're very happy to have you. Um, we wanna start with the basics. So can you explain what is Movember? What does it signify and why do we need it? Why do we need to talk about men's mental health?
2: Movember, is, you know, the kind of word combination of men's mental health is like a lot of the other heritage months and types of things you see designated on calendars. Uh, It's an opportunity to intentionally focus on something that really matters all the time, but by giving it some intentional space, it makes it a little easier to draw attention to it and act as a kind of check-in, both for us personally and really as a society. And so November is the one that's designated as a month for being especially aware of men's mental health, and that's where it comes from. It gets that special attention, I think, because particularly here in Western culture, but really not just Western culture, a lot of cultures, actually, mental health not just is a topic that sometimes people struggle to talk about or see as valid, but it can be especially difficult for men, where in many cultures, the idea of needing to be strong, to needing to be brave, to be independence, the breadwinner, to be uh, somehow invulnerable and never show weakness, result in implicit and sometimes even explicit messages that you're not allowed to have feelings, you're not allowed to have anxiety, to grow depressed, and adds an extra layer of commentary to mental health struggles, that you're somehow not just failing or being weak, but you're failing as a man, you're failing. Uh, your gender identity or the role you're meant to play in your family or your relationships. And that just adds another burden to an already really burdened topic that people should have the freedom to talk about and explore.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there are so many challenges that you've already mentioned, and that was actually going to be my next question. What challenges do you feel exist for people identifying as male in seeking help for mental health? And I know you talked about some, and I'm also thinking about things that you've heard from clients, things that you've heard from from friends, or even personal experiences.
2: Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, obviously, every population has its own struggles, but Um, For men in particular, uh, and across in the ways I'm talking about, there's a way in which mental health tends to be equated with being emotional or weak, um, which actually is a sort of dirty underside of really misogynistic or patriarchal views that tend to apply those labels to women. You know, it's like, oh stop crying, stop being a girl about it. You know, the idea of being a girl or a woman is actually seen as a negative. And then that gets applied to men when they demonstrate the capacity to feel. Uh, so that can be a real struggle just off the face of it. You know, young boys being told that they're behaving like girls when they cry, when they get scared. Uh, even the phrase man up is a call to push emotions aside a lot of the time. Uh, and to not feel the need for them to be expressed, honored, recognized, what have you. And that exists in different ways in different cultures. So, for example, you know, I'm Mexican on my mom's side. And in a lot of like Latino, Latinx communities, there's a real problem with machismo culture of men having this kind of hyper masculinity where they can't show emotions about. Anything uh to the point of maybe even struggling to admit sadness to tell a partner that he loves her. You know, these things end up being labeled as a kind of anti-male behavior and then adds onto more pressures like down the line. Um, so like culturally, there's definitely a piece of it there. You'll see it in implicit ways. Um, you know, I, I can remember. Sitting at family gatherings and having extended family praise male members of the family who were around my age who were bigger and stronger because they were in sports, and then being made fun of because I was not seen to be in as manly a sport. Like I wasn't in football, but I was in track and field, something like that. And fortunately, the days of being explicitly told to be a man, you have to be these kinds of ways are. I think improving insofar as it's not as common, but it still exists. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't matter if you're told it explicitly. The implicit message is there, too, even if you just look at commercials of what does the alpha male look like? Like there are no images that celebrate masculinity quite so clearly as like a uh, Daniel Craig and James Bond, which are great movies. Like I enjoy them. But at the same time, it's this image of the classic male archetype who, does not suffer, does not break down. And so culturally, social media, families, individually, uh, that's all there. Those are all different ways in which it can exist as a kind of pressure that then discourages men from saying I'm having a hard time with something in the first place.
1: I'm also thinking about the lack of modeling for vulnerability that a lot of men don't receive in their lives. On the other hand, women are expecting Uh, sometimes even pressured to be vulnerable but men don't or male identified people don't get to see the different ways in which they can be vulnerable from dads or from other male identified figures in their lives and how that then impacts accessibility even when they are in therapy even when they're sitting in the room across with a therapist and this um, stigma around being vulnerable that you were talking about Matt
2: Yeah, that's really true. And that goes to that implicit messaging again, but in a more positive direction, that when you can see it happening and see it happening and being received well, it gives you tacit permission to embrace that. And we don't often see male figures who are grappling with emotions in healthy ways. on a lot of social media, we often see men and we just saw this actually yesterday where a US senator in congress challenged somebody to a fight and said well this is how i was raised and it's just there it is at the top, the highest level of american government in the seat of congress like a senator saying like well in order to be a man i have to challenge someone to a fight here in the building we at the same time have that example but then you're not necessarily going to see a lot of Things where it's a man crying openly about how he's lost someone or made a mistake, uh, going in and apologizing. Having male friends in this regard who can do this with and for and in front of you is really important and really a kind of countercultural move. Um, to have like a male friend openly weep in front of other men, I think is really powerful. I think we, Even now, there's an instinctual, oh, this must be really bad if he's letting himself cry. And that is an acknowledgement of the fact that we expect them to hold it in, in some regard.
0: I also want to extend this conversation to um, the idea of self-care. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about men's ability and permission from society to have emotions express them and all of that. Um, But I also want to touch on how self-care is often framed in a very feminine lens. And of course, exactly what you already mentioned, Matt, when things are framed in a feminine lens, it's usually seen as a negative for male identified folks. It's usually seen as weaker or, you know, not acceptable in some way. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts of talking about how to take care of ourselves and what stress relief means and what self-care means for people who are male-identified.
2: Yeah, I'm simultaneously torn with the phrase self-care. On the one hand, I'm a huge advocate for it. In fact, I did a lot of my undergraduate thesis work on self-care in the Western tradition. On the other hand, I grow conflicted about it because sometimes when we talk about self-care, we... And describe it in a way that makes it sound like it's a specific intentional act that we need to do from time to time, as opposed to it being an overall awareness that we ought to have in general. Um, too often we treat self-care like something that you need to get to from time to time to make sure you're okay, like going to the dentist. Whereas to stay with that kind of imagery, self-care would really be the regular brushing of teeth. It's to have a Genuine, enduring awareness of your own needs in any given circumstance where you are actively caring for them. And then occasionally in hard times, you might go out of your way to more intentionally care for yourself. And I think that can ring especially true for men because, again, you know, women are socialized, at least in many cultures, to be able to cry at an earlier age, to be able to hug a friend at an earlier age, to be able to casually tell friends that they love them or how important they are. And for men, a lot of the times, those feelings of affection, those forms of expressing how much you care about somebody are reserved for romantic relationships. And I actually think that that's part of the reason why there can be so much anxiety around sex and romantic relationships for men because in a way society sets them up to try and get all their emotional needs from one person and one type of relationship as opposed to having the ability to feel affirmed and cared for across the whole spectrum of relationships and communities and so in that regard I think self-care for men Starts with being able to admit that you have needs and feelings in the first place and that they matter. And then, just like any other person, taking an eye to noting, okay, where do those needs and feelings come from? How do they get soothed? What does it look like when I can tell I'm maybe trending in a direction where I'm starting to struggle more? What are my personal check engine lights? For men, I think where it maybe divulges is to have a particular awareness to having nervousness around expressing that need. And even if you're a man who actively, such as myself, who actively is very comfortable with and intentional about the idea that, oh, I have feelings and they matter, to recognize that you were still born into a society that constantly messaged in some ways that they don't in some way. You know, and I'm a big believer in all these things. I'm a therapist. I'm very affectionate with friends, but I'll still catch myself uh, having moments like watching a movie and something will happen and I'll feel the instinct to cry. And a split second after, I might have the instinct to kind of hold it back because, oh, no, hold on. It's going to look weird. I think another one we're starting to see now too is the rise of the language of simping. Um, This idea that men who work too hard to make a woman happy or attract a partner are simping, um, which becomes this derogatory term for a man who is essentially debasing himself um, for a partner, for a woman. Um, And the messaging there is really problematic, too. Now, obviously, codependency is a real thing. Uh, having a sense of integrity and not pinning your whole life to a relationship uh, or a particular person is a real thing. But that's not the nuance that simping language is usually used around. Um, But it's yet another way in which the idea of, you know, openly admitting to someone that you have feelings or that they matter to you uh, is seen as cause for rejection or stigma that then Encourages them to hold it in. And I think a particular thing for men is because we are often taught to hold things in, we are then not very well keyed into the ways in which that which we hold in still finds its way out. You know, the image I often use of people is if you had a balloon and you try to squeeze it to make it smaller, wherever you're squeezing it, you'll make it smaller, but it expands elsewhere. And this is where we see things like, oh, I never complain. And my coach yells at me all the time. And I'm regularly made fun of, but I don't know why I get headaches constantly. Or I don't know why it is that whenever I want to go home, I feel really on edge whenever this one uncle shows up. Or I don't know why it is that When I go out with my male friends, I'm reluctant to say I want to do something other than get really drunk this weekend. We can't selectively numb or avoid feelings. We either numb the whole system or not at all. And that's where things get really tricky because now it's going to pop up somewhere else. And at a time and place that's not of our choosing, it could show up in another relationship. This is where you get a lot of the classic imagery of the man who feels like crap at work, gets beat up on at work, can't say anything, goes home, kicks the dog, yells at his wife. Like it's a stereotype, but it exists for a reason. And so I think for men, there's a particular question of how do I make sure I allow myself to experience the feelings I have and express them the way I need to? And how can I tell maybe when I'm holding things in, what are the feelings I'm reluctant to admit to? because those are maybe the ones I ought to pay a bit more attention to. And I'll often ask people, if you have a close friend or family member or partner, I'll say, what about them makes it easier to be open? Because that's usually a template for what I need in order to feel safe. And then start actively looking for that in other relationships too, whether it be with men, women, what have you
1: i think you have so beautifully painted this complex picture of men's mental health but also the the personal struggles that each individual male-identifying person can feel in terms of identifying and being aware about needs, but then expressing them and then also getting getting the support from multiple and layered relationships versus basing it off of this one person or one relationship and not trying to numb it out. I think that was very, very well said and I really appreciated the examples that you provided. In line with those examples and this theme of awareness and identification, what are some warning signs we can watch out for in our male-identified friends?
2: No, it's a good question. And again, I I want to hesitate somewhat just because all the things I can think of as a warning sign in a male-identifying friend, person, loved one, stranger, they're oftentimes the same things I would say for anybody at all, regardless of gender. Um, So that's maybe my first observation. But I would say to look to yourself and say, when I'm feeling uncomfortable, what do I do? You know, for a lot of people, it's becoming quieter, more withdrawn, uh, seeming a bit on edge. It's suddenly not wanting to go out as much, isolating more. You know, those are signs of someone feeling uncomfortable. At the same time, Because men are often put under pressure to man up, um, you can sometimes see, and I've seen this with other men um, in my own life, where they're obviously uncomfortable, there's a pressure, and so they step into it because they feel like they have to, and so when you see someone doing something and you kind of get the feeling that they're doing it out of social pressure, you know, they you seem like they're, they seem like they're mimicking or aping what's going on as opposed to genuinely being there. You know, that's a sign of discomfort. And I think men in particular can sometimes be prone to that because the option of saying no carries so much weight. So I think that's one. Um, I think paying attention to how a person behaves and speaks in different contexts, you know, like I know and I've seen a lot of men who one-on-one might be way gentler or overall settled within themselves. But then you put them in a group of a lot of men and they feel like, oh, now I need to be you know, someone who drinks and someone who curses and someone who catcalls. And there's this bridge from who they were in this other setting um, that shows that they're trying to fit in trying to find some kind of social acceptance or at least just not become a target. Uh, I think that's one too. I think another one is irritation, you know, suddenly finding yourselves um, irritated for no reason at all, uh lashing out at smaller comments. I think a lot of these moments get lost in male social interactions because a guy maybe says back off or whatnot and it gets dismissed real quickly with like, oh, who's being a girl? And people laugh, and it's brushed off, and we move on. And that moment gets missed, that this was a person feeling somewhat uncomfortable. And because they're not allowed to say it, and because someone else isn't allowed to admit that they can see feelings, step forward and say, wait a minute, are you okay? Both parties are sort of obliged to hold each other hostage by not saying it, and then they move past it. Uh, I think you see that on a lot of different circumstances of men where somebody kind of pushes back and you can tell they're no longer joking. But because we're not supposed to stop, the joke just amps up slightly and we move past it. And that's a lost opportunity. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with pulling that person aside after, you know, or the next day. And it's been like, hey, I just wanted to say, I noticed the other day you seemed uncomfortable here. I caught a flicker of something are you okay? Was that upsetting? What's going on? Talk to me. And you might have to do a little extra reassurance. And they're like, oh, no, I'm fine. And like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. You're fine. Anyway, are you telling me you're fine because you really are? Or are you telling me fine because you just don't want to make a big deal out of it?
0: I appreciate that specific suggestion too, um, especially because there there can be so much pressure when you're in a group of people. And when men are working to break down these barriers and teach We talked before about not having the modeling, like, you know, people are having to teach themselves how to be vulnerable and practice this for the first time. And that can be really nerve wracking in front of other people. Um, But I appreciate the suggestion, even to talk about it after it's happened, it still can be really impactful. Um, I also want to flip that and wonder your thoughts about how to start talking to friends, like for people who are men, how to start talking about their own mental health. Like how do I, if I'm a man, start that conversation with my friends? Or how do I start to open up? Even how do I approach seeking professional help?
2: Yeah, I think ways in which introducing the topic is simultaneously something that can feel really complicated and still be really simple. Um, Because again, it's no different necessarily than from any other population or context. And yet, as is often the case for All of us, we know what we need to do, but it's hard to get ourselves to do it. And I think admitting to yourself you might have a need is a great first step, even if it's frankly as simple as just sitting down and opening up a journal and saying, I think I'm having a hard time. I think I'm having a hard time because X, Y, Z, I've noticed one, two, three, and just putting it out there in front of yourself. And admitting that it's real can already be a huge burden getting lifted because you're honoring the fact that you feel this way and letting the feeling exist. And then when it comes to speaking to someone else, you know, there's no rule that says you have to dive all the way in right off the gate. Um, There's nothing wrong with sitting with someone. I'll often tell clients, well, who is the person you maybe feel safest with? Or who is someone that you think could admit to these kinds of feelings too. Not necessarily they're having them right now, but that they're someone who's been unafraid, or you think has the cap- the is, <laughs> has the capacity, to admit to how they feel, and sitting down, and it's okay to be nervous, and say, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. Do you have a moment? You know, pick a time, a time, and set it up, and then be like, I wanted to talk to you about something, but I want to be honest and just say. I'm feeling nervous about talking about it, and I know we joke around a lot, but can I ask you to just step away from joking because I want to say something that I think is going to be difficult, and you haven't even gotten to the subject yet, but you've already framed and introduced that this is a moment where you'd like some support, and it's good for you because if they can respect it and they're like, oh, yeah, of course, great. And if they're like, ah, well, whatever. Okay, sure. That tells you maybe they don't get it. And you can say, all right, you know what? never mind, Or just share something entirely different. But just admitting, like I have something I want to talk about and I'm nervous. We tend to want to reassure people when we're given the opportunity because we love being helpful because we're social creatures. And we love being able to identify and feel humanized that, hey, I go through that too. So being nervous is actually something that everyone can identify with whether they want to admit to or not and so starting with just saying all right I have something I want to say I'm a little nervous I'm going to ask if you would just let me start and maybe don't speak until I say I've got I've done and I got it off my chest Um, there's nothing wrong with writing it all down ahead of time because it's hard to come up with in the moment and saying I have something I know it might seem silly but I'd like to just read it out loud because i want to make sure i say it correctly and i'm afraid i might not so could you just hear me out on this real quick and then just reading it and frankly if you're nervous about face to face there's nothing wrong with sending an email um, sending even if need be a text message i might personally prefer the email even if it means texting someone to check their email just because the small screen of a text message makes anything that's more than three sentences feel inherently massive because it took up the whole screen. So you find yourself trying to make it shorter all the time. Whereas in an email, you can speak a bit more freely and just sending the email to them and saying, when you're done reading this, can you give me a call or sending it to someone and saying, I just sent something to you. Do you think you could open up and read it? Cause it's a way of sort of putting the words out, having a chance to articulate it ahead of time, like all of that's fair as well. And if there's someone in particular that you feel safe with broaching it to first and then asking them, could you tag along with me while I talk to someone else so that you have that support there? It's a great thing to do. And then whatever you end up doing for it, try to set out a distinct goal of like, why am I telling them? And what am I hoping for? Because it will make it easier to
1: organize your thoughts. I really appreciate you sharing all of those ways. And I also want to throw in like that people can reach out to, like you can reach out in any way that feels more fitting or more mm-hmm. aligned to you. Just because you reached out to one person at one time doesn't mean that now you- that is the friend that you're going to have to share everything or that because you're sharing something today, you have to go to all depths and tell them everything. Um, I think a lot of um, our male identified friends and people don't get a lot of good examples. And I think all of us actually don't get a lot of examples on boundary setting also uh, when it comes to protecting yourself and when you decide what you want to share with somebody that and you decide on holding off of some information, that doesn't mean that you're being secretive, It it's just you assessing safety. Um, so even if it's something like you share an Instagram reel to your friend and be like, this is how I feel, if that is what appeals to you, that's also a good way to get that conversation started. As we move towards the end of the episode, Matt, we have one last question for you on, and I know you covered this a little bit, on how to talk to a friend that we are concerned about. Um, Do you have anything else that you'd like to add to that on talking or reaching out to a friend that you feel concerned about that you wanna have the conversation with, but you feel like they might be hesitating?
2: Well, often find ourselves in situations where we observe something and something seems off. And yeah, it's great if we can ask in the moment, but sometimes the moment isn't ideal either because it's just not a good time. Um, You know, we're at a party with a bunch of other people or we ourselves are really distracted. In which case, again, it's okay to reach out after the fact and say, Hey, I just want to acknowledge something that I noticed and picked up on. If you feel nervous, like maybe they, won't respond well, or you're worried that it's going to make them feel called out, then I would say it's still okay to ask and just preface your remarks with saying, Hey, I wanted to acknowledge that I thought I saw, saw the other day and you seemed upset. You know, you don't have to tell me if anything's going on, but I just wanted to say I saw it and check in. And as you were saying earlier, a person's not obliged to everything. You know, I have some friends who've gone through really difficult situations and there's this weird mix, right? Because on the one hand, they want to be checked in on. And on the other hand, they don't want to feel like they're constantly being reminded about it. And so I've asked them, is it okay if I check in on you with this maybe next week? And let them make the decision like, all right, well, would you prefer I just leave it here or... If I feel like you still seem off, is it okay if I ask ask in on you again a week from now? And again, that time, if you want to talk, great. And if not, no. A lot of people just appreciate the sense that someone hasn't forgotten, that it was noticed in the first place. And then you're letting them say, yes, it's okay to follow up next time. And then you can just let it be. And in the meantime, they know that you're aware and can reach out when they're ready. You know, there's nothing to force and kind of go from there. I think one time actually I noticed I was struggling with being depressed and I had noticed that I had gotten so used to it that I was concerned that I wasn't really taking it seriously. And so I asked a friend of mine, a male friend of mine, if he could call me every Thursday at seven and just ask how I was doing because it would keep it on my radar And it's a great guy and he agreed to do it. And we just did that somewhat indefinitely until it felt like the need for it passed. And it wasn't even necessarily that we spoke for a long time. I think a lot of the time we spoke for five minutes because he was driving home to his own family, Um, but it just put it on someone else's radar. It helped to know someone was aware of it. Sometimes he'd call and I'd be like, yeah, I had a terrible week and I can talk about it. Other times I'd be like, I had a terrible week, but I just, I'm not really in the mood to talk about it but it just made it easier. And so when you see it with other people, I like giving them those options of what do you need? What would be best? Would you prefer that I ask about it again? No, okay, let me know if you need something, but to be proactive about it in that manner, while at the same time, try to treat it casually. You know, if you go in tiptoeing and feeling like it's a huge thing, you are sending the message that this is a huge thing. Whereas if you just treat it like you're asking about their favorite football team, you're also sending the message of, yeah, this is fine. I can handle this conversation. How are you? Somebody all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me know if you want to talk about it. And then you move right on and you go from there.
0: I think that's a great place to pause the episode for today. Um, Really, really appreciate you coming on Matt and talking about this broad spectrum of, of men's mental health and, you know, um, factors getting in the way of talking about it and specifics of how to talk about it for, us, we want to share some mental health resources, mental health services resources. We did do um, a men's barbershop event to talk about men's mental health in the beginning of November. Um, So please keep checking our Instagram pages for more events like this. And um, if anybody does want to access services at mental health services, please call our front desk at 608-265-5600, option 2 also, feel free to tag us by using the Connecting Badgers hashtag on social media with any thoughts and feedback, requests for topics or questions that you have. And if you know of anyone who may benefit from this information, please share the podcast and also check out the Instagram page, um, which is just instagram.com slash uw underscore MHS. Okay. And any final thoughts from you, Matt, as we say goodbye?
2: No, this has been great. I really appreciate you having me on. And if anyone listening would like to talk of any gender, uh, I am actually the MHS Let's Talk provider uh, at the college library for this fall 2023 semester on Tuesdays from 3 to 5 p.m. It can be a little hard to find, but I promise if you go, there's signage or you can ask people at the front desk. uh, Let's Talk, I'm sure you guys have probably touched on at some point before, but it's basically therapy office hours open door, no commitments, all confidential. You walk in, I shut the door and I say, what's on your mind? And we just chat. So anyone found this interesting or wants to talk, catch up further, I'm happy to meet with them there. Otherwise, best of good health to everyone. And thanks so much.
1: One more time, a great thanks to Matt and a great thanks to all of our listeners for listening and being with us. And as a reminder, if you're struggling, if you have mental health concerns, you can always access our crisis line for support wherever you are, whenever you need at 608-265-5600, option nine. Thank you so much for listening to another episode.